Hey folks, we're back with the Sea Arts Podcast. I hope you're doing great. This is your host, Fabian Seewald. And today we want to dive with you into the world of jazz music and get to know the vibraphone. Welcome to the Sea Arts Podcast. We build a bridge between arts and business and want to inspire you to see arts. Welcome to the Sea Arts Podcast. Today it's a pleasure to us to welcome a very special artist and great musician with us, Christian Tambour. He's a multi-instrumentalist, performs with his quintet at venues such as the Lincoln Center and founded Sonic Leadership. He was nominated for the Grammys, worked with artists such as Julio Iglesias and produced music for the Cirque du Soleil in Macau. And so it's a big pleasure for us to have such an artist with us today. Thanks a lot, Christian, to, well, to take the chance and be at the Sea Arts podcast. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure uh, to be here. Thanks so much for having me, man. Well, we actually connected sometime and in 2009 via the internet and directly were in a great flow. And now actually in this Corona times, we found the, the time uh, to well, stop our busy touring life in a way and jump on these creative calls. First of all, we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. So please tell us a little bit who you are. What is your mission? Uh, tell us a bit about the inflection point. How did you get into music? And uh, yeah, tell the, tell the world who is Christian. Oh wow! Well, I hope your your listeners have a are, are sitting down and have a hot beverage or a cold beverage. Uh, no, uh, so I started playing music when I was about uh, five years old. My father uh, played acoustic guitar, and um, I just picked it up. You know, I, I nothing formal. It was just uh, there was music around the house, and I wanted to do what my dad was doing. So I loved to play guitar. Um, I'm not very good at it, but it was something that I really enjoyed because it was what my dad did. When I was about eight years old, I inherited a baby grand piano from my great aunt. And again, this was just something that was now a new toy, so to speak, in the house. My parents weren't pushing me in any way, but my dad would sit with the guitar and I would sit at the piano and try to hear my way through what he was playing and I would try to match it on the piano. And so, you know, not really knowing what I was doing other than developing my ear at the time, you know, I was just trying to play along. Um, and so fell in love with the piano, but ultimately when I got into school, they didn't have piano or guitar. They said, you have to pick a real instrument. I was trying not to be, <laughs> trying not to be totally offended by that, but, uh, you know, I had to pick a band instrument. And so, um, they had clarinets and oboes and French horns, and I really wanted to play the French horn, but they ran out. And so the last thing they had left was either oboes or percussion kits. And so uh, I had heard things about oboe players. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, I knew I could not play an oboe, uh, but I said percussion. I said, you know, those mallet instruments, they look like a piano keyboard. We'll give that a swing. And so that's really how I got formally into music with my first, I would guess, so legitimate training was in going into junior high school. Uh, I fell in love with percussion, um, you know, and had all aspects for being a classical percussionist. I was taking from a, a, a Juilliard level uh, classical percussionist. I was playing all the Bach etudes on marimba. But I always wanted, you know, the, the goal was always to get back to those instruments that I played as a child, either um, piano or guitar. And the only way I could do that was if I played in the jazz band. And so I worked really hard. I got private lessons. 
and uh, I was able to get into the jazz band playing drums, but I was the youngest guy in the band, so uh, or in the percussion section. There's two older percussionists. And so they always gave me the ballads, the slow songs. And so it was very boring. You know, just like take the brushes out, the swish, 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 very, very boring. And so my, uh, my teacher said, listen, um, you're not going to be sitting here playing uh, just ballads and, you know, doing your homework when you're not playing. And he rolled a vibraphone out. And he said, this is a vibraphone, which is part of the mallet instrument. Looks like a marimba or looks like a xylophone. And uh, he said, um, you know, when you're not playing the ballads, and the brushes, you're going to be playing this. And uh, again, uh, wow, I had no idea what this instrument was. Home with some recordings. And that was like the complete shift. That was the moment where I went, oh, wow. You know, what I had always kind of done at home, where it's like making music up and like listening to music and trying to play along with it. I realized that jazz would give me that opportunity to improvise and create my own melodies. And it was acceptable. You know, I wouldn't get yelled at. <laughs> And so, um, you know, pretty much from there on, I went into, uh, I followed as a percussionist. I kept up my piano skills always, but uh, percussion became my love. Vibraphone became my main instrument. And I went through college and was real fortunate um, to, you know, just be that guy that played kind of a niche instrument. You know, not everybody played it. And so, um, you know, it's been a, a, a blessing and a curse. Right. Not everybody needs a vibraphone player. Right. But uh, if you know, nobody needs you, you turn into the guy that creates the opportunities. So, um, you know, I, I started my first ensemble and started just doing that hustling, you know, making my own performance opportunities, going out there and just kind of making it work. And really in the dynamic of my entire career, that's been the, the key to success has been obviously that I've expanded the scope of what I do beyond just playing the vibraphone, but I've always been one to um, really try to find the opportunities. And if I can't latch on to something, I, I, I will go out and I will create it. So just like connecting with you was like, I love the visual dynamic. I love what you're doing here. I'm familiar with how this works. Let's do something. Let's collaborate. And, you know, it takes nothing for me to, you know, throw together an email and say, hi, I'm Christian let's do something, you know? So that's, uh, that's really kind of the journey. I mean, uh, you named a couple of the different, you know, uh, bumps in the road from uh, working with Cirque du Soleil to um, Julio Iglesias to uh, uh, touring with Jazz at Lincoln Center. Um, yeah, it's been quite a journey, but uh, that's, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> wow, what, what a journey. And it's well interesting in a certain way that you said nobody pushed you for music, but at the first bit it was just like trying out. And then I feel like these teachers on your way, it was maybe this coincidence that uh, you, you you wanted to go for another instrument and then uh, there, there was just a oboe left. And then you said, okay, then I go for the percussion. And from there on the, the next teacher again, opened up this world to the vibraphone, which is in a way like a special yeah. instrument that you would not expect in, in any school or as well like in uh, just so accessible. So tell, right. tell us a little bit about the vibraphone. What, what makes it so special for you that you said, okay, the vibraphone is my, uh, well, favorite instrument. I know you also play a lot piano, but the vibraphone and you, they have a special connection. Yeah, you know, uh, so again, this was something that, I mean, when my band director rolled it out, uh, it was literally, it looked like a music cart. It had music and boxes stacked on top of it. And if you had told me it was an instrument, I would have said, you're crazy. Um, uh, and you know, it was just not something that I had ever seen before. 
Uh, first of all, I love the sound of it. I think it's a be- has beautiful tonality. Uh, it's so melodic with the ability of its uh, metal bars to be um, a very warm tone, but also a, a, a lyrical tone, which you can manage with the sustain pedal. So it's very much like the piano. Um, and the instrument was originally designed as a sound effect instrument in early radio is what it was used for, like sci-fi and, uh, you know, the iconic American broadcasting NBC, that, that, that bum, bum, bum. That's what it was for. There was like some guy that showed up in the morning and that's like, that was his gig. He had to just play those three notes, you know, wish I had written it. But, um, anyway, um, again, like a really, uh, unique sounding instrument. Nobody else did it. And, you know, I kind of had a knack for it. And so uh, I was drawn to it and it gave me an identity. Um, I think even as a percussionist and saying, hey, music is kind of my thing, I was still sort of lost in the sea of everybody else around me, the upperclassmen, the underclassmen, you know, just, you know, the, the band thing. But by picking a specific instrument, I had a, a real defined direction and had a real, um, a direction of material to go after, you know, the, and listening to the greats like Lionel Hampton, Milt Jackson, um, you know, Cal Jader, Tito Puente, like there's so many great players and the music is so vi- uh, vibrant. That's a bit of a pun, but you know, <laughs> I didn't mean that, but you know, yeah, it's truly, it was vibrant and, and happy and uplifting and, uh, and so exciting and just a whole new world to explore jazz. And so it was this gate that I, you know, been fortunate enough to make a living at for the past twenty some odd years. Well, what what a journey! But I'd like to to know as well as we have like our listeners are as well artists and looking for their creative ways or make their way into making creativity earn their their living. What inspires you, and where do you get inspiration for your songs for for musical production? And as well, like this question is just coming up. Somehow, like at the vibraphone, you have two sticks in your hands. I think it's also interesting um, to work with at the edges, like something like what is uh, what is kind of like the status quo, and how could you kind of challenge the status quo and add another stick, or or what are the challenges in this one? Because currently we're always uh, sometimes it's always like bigger, faster, quicker, whatever. But in yeah. arts, it's a different approach. So these these two questions, like where do you get the inspiration from, and uh, with your vibraphone. What are the, well, maybe the next giant steps that you, you think of taking forward? Sure. So um, my inspiration comes from a lot of different places. I generally need a story or a theme. Uh, and I, I think even when you and I have talked about some of our ideas for collaboration, I'm always very much intrigued by um, the, the backstory, a way for me, uh, a way for me to relate to an experience. So, you know, whether it's, um, you know, an action, it's an action for me. So, uh, if it's, it's a, if it's a couple and they're in love, what is that, what is that journey of that story? Um, if it's, uh, exploring, you know, the, you know, these beautiful cliffs and this visual, visual richness, um, I can, by diving myself into a story, Uh, I can create my own dialogue or my own um, my own story and relate to that, and that's where the creativity tends to come from. I can. I'm not a poet. I, I don't write great, great lyrics. I have some great folks that um, I I write lyrics with, um, but generally getting that 
story together of, you know, the beginning, middle and end, um, uh, how it all starts and how it all comes to end. That really helps me develop a melodic idea from beginning, middle and end. Um, and it's interesting how it all relates to the vibraphone. You know, I, it's funny. I, I really balance between the vibes and uh, the piano um, both when I write. Uh, sometimes the, the more percussive, aggressive, fast things um, come from the vibraphone because that's where my facility at that level really exists. The piano, man, piano so hard. And any p great pianist will tell you it's the hardest instrument. It, I mean, it's just every day you sit down and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to practice. But when I'm working on more lyrical ideas or more uh, complex ideas, I really like using the piano because I can hear both the melody in the right hand and the harmonic ideas in the left hand. Um, so I write kind of on both instruments, but when I play the vibes, um, I'm most comfortable soloing or playing the lead with two mallets. Uh, but I do comp and I do play chords and I do play four mallets. Uh, but I also love the idea, you know, the vibraphone has the vibrato effect, uh, the fans that uh, roll inside. So you kind of get this vibrato that happens. Um, but, you know, I've come up with all kinds of unique ways to try to create a new effect or sound on the instru instrument. So because it's percussive, I can grab a, a bar and I can hit the bar with my hand holding the note. So it almost sounds like a, a guitar player, kind of like uh, what they call palming a note where the they put their palm on the, the strings and it's a, you know, really percussive. You don't get that long note. Um, and I love that. Um, I've also done a couple of recordings. Um, two records ago, I did a recording of one of my great, uh, a great standard in, in a sentimental um, mood, um, or excuse me, in a sentimental tone. Uh, and I did it using my fingernails and using my fingers. Uh, again, uh, I was just messing around in the studio and the engineer hit record. And here was this whole new sound of this instrument where now like the, the, tick, 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 the tick of your fingernails against the metal bars created this very delicate, um, almost, you know, almost faint um, approach to the instrument that you could never do with the mallets. Um, and lastly, um, uh, I've, you know, and this is pretty common in some orchestras and more modern music using this instrument, the bars. So using a, a violin or a cello bow with resin, you can actually bow the corner of the bar and you get this whoa, really kind of dynamic sound. Um, it's kind of hard because you got to move around with a bow, you know, very, uh, well, it's, it's, it, it can be done, but it's one of those things that, you know, use sparingly. But um, yeah, anyway, it, it, there's a lot of things. Now, you said adding a mallet. Four mallets is enough for me. Any more mallets, and I, I have a feeling I'd poke my eye out. So, you know, you know. <laughs> well, sometimes it is rather about the, the reduction to, to make something, to leave space, to leave space for the spectator, yeah. to leave space for the, for the listener. That's also sometimes something that we experience more and more that sometimes we like, less is more and the space in between can be filled with the power in the room or um, oh. or whatever is there so sometimes leave something back to to the receiver is this communication in music in art that might get actually more and more interesting as well oh absolutely it's one of the things uh, we talk about a lot uh, in uh, do as an educator going into colleges or as a clinician going in and working with young up-and-coming artists is uh, and, you know, I'm sure you do this as well when you're teaching 
you know, I say, you know, one of the common phrases I say is like, take the horn out of your mouth, <laughs> you know? And one of the hardest things to do is not to play. It's very easy to, to fill the space, right? You know, to fill the space, there's all these ideas and, but it's the, it's when you move somebody and you leave them with that kind of intensity of silence or intensity of stillness, and then that final release of the note, um, that can be as dramatic, if not more dramatic than, you know, lots of things going on. So yeah, couldn't agree more with you, man. Well, in, in puppetry, it's the moment when we actually make the puppet think, and then it's super alive in a way, because then the audience get the chance to project their visions of, of thinking into the option. I think for the music, it's the same that that's when you're like head cinema, when, you're, when your creative sparks are actually activated. And I think the arts should be so much more, not just entertain, but rather inspire and kind of get the people out of their seat or, or also like co-creation. Co-creation might be the, the right word that that's where we where we want to, to get the people. That's absolutely correct. I mean, I, I sometimes struggle with modern day production uh, because I feel like we give our audience everything. Like we leave nothing up to the imagination or that creative next level uh, personal interaction with the art like if you give it all to them you know you're, you're just kind of experiencing it versus investing yourself your moment your thoughts your emotions into a single or maybe two you know something like that like like where it's music and and puppetry like you know, you're telling a story but again they're not talking so you, you've left out the dialogue so now You're going like, you know, what is he saying? Oh, I wonder if he's in love. Oh, he misses her. And, you know, it's like you're involved. You're, you're, you're creating your own experience that's so different than the person that's standing next to you or six feet from you or whatever the socially distanced appropriate <laughs> it's supposed to be. But you're, you're right, man. I mean, that's what art and music is all about. It's about self-exploration, not only for the artist, but for the listener. Well, in, in the creative process, it's also a lot about finding the right time, finding the right focus. And I'd like to know what kind of creative routines and creative rituals did you have to establish for, for yourself? Is it like a morning routine? When are your like most creative moments and what kind of environment do you have to create for yourself? Because I think uh, being such an artist also requires a lot of discipline. It's not just always always flown or at least for me it's not so what are these creative routines and how what helped you to establish them um yeah so it, it it kind of changes depending on the project that i'm working on um if it's a project for myself uh that is very um uh personal and i'm not for instance like if uh, i'm creating new original music for a new project of my own i i give myself the time To, to, ha to, to not feel like it has to be created all in one sitting. And I just mean that by, it's just like even when um, we're in the world of business, you know, and creativity takes a ton of, of brain power. And, you know, we've got all this other stimulus going on around us. Um, and so uh, what I do is I try to give myself time. Um, there's no real particular time in the day other than just saying, okay, I'm going to dedicate an hour or two to work on that. But Uh, if I get into it for 40 minutes and I'm not getting anywhere, I never try to push it because I, I feel like uh, one of the things that can be uh, detrimental to any creative is, is, is forcing yourself to be creative. Like that is, um, that can go uh, sideways very quick. 
Um, so I, I try whenever, you know, and I talk about this with a lot of the artists I, I work with, and maybe you'll know this term, but I try to give myself plenty of runway. Meaning if I know I have a project that I want to get myself really into, um, I make sure that I don't put myself into too much of a box that I'm like, I have to finish this. I have to get this creative new idea by tomorrow. Um, to me, that stresses me out and I, I'm not very productive in that environment. Now flip the switch to working for other individuals like other artists or other uh, productions. And there is a finite deadline and it, and your creativity needs to be finished by an X amount of time. I do start to put myself into a schedule and that schedule always allows for, um, uh, for stepping away, right? Having perspective. And I think that's the hardest thing because I, I'm sure like maybe yourself, like I can get myself locked into a room for eight hours when the energy is like flowing. It's like you lose track of time. But sometimes when you're working in more of that commercial environment, it can start to become really uh, challenging. So again, I try to pace myself out. Like um, I'll, I'll shift my focus on something else. I will go and listen to something that's completely different. Um, and I'll just try to clear my palate so that when I come back to do that creative energy, um, I feel like I'm, again, I'm not just beating on that, that door. It's, 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 it's at least fresh, but that's, that's the easiest way I can explain how I write and how I'm creative. It's not any one particular way. I just feel like each project kind of dedicates its own approach. And I think that flexibility allows me to, 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 get, to get the projects done. Nice. In the CRT podcast, we also try to build the bridge actually between arts and business. And you also talked about the project that you're doing for yourself, but sometimes you also have some contractual work. How do you handle kind of these different hats that one hat is kind of like the business person, one hat is like kind of the very structured artist who has to get the work done. And the other one is kind of the free artist who's kind of like creating a piece of art for yourself. What, is, what are any hacks that you could share with us to, uh, to be an artist, but a businessman and, and a family father like to, to play with these different hats? Yeah, oh boy. It's, uh, it is... Um... You know, I, I don't know if there's an easy hack, but I will tell you my, my approach is, uh, you know, I, as I started off in my career, um, I started off as a sideman. Um, and as a sideman, um, you know, you're, you're working for somebody else. Um, and there's a real misconception as sidemen that the band leader is just raking in all the money you know they're just they're you know driving a nice car they've got their name on the headline you know the whole nine yard and you as a side man you're just like ah oh, making a hundred dollars you know if i did it this way it would be this way and if it was me there's all this misperception of like what it is to, to, to wear that hat as like a band leader um and then you get to the point where you're like okay i'm gonna try to be a band leader And you're overwhelmed by the amount of responsibilities and time and tasks that go into being a band leader, which is what you're talking about. Like, the, you know, you got to be creative, got to create the show, and then you got to hire all the musicians, and then you got to deal with the venue and deal with the contract or lack thereof. And, you know, what's the ticket sales going to be? And, you know, who's going to do audio? And, you know, you know what, what about lights and all that kind of stuff? Um, You know, and, and for me, my personality, I, I really thrive, I really love um, learning how it all operates. So 
I think my personality has always been like, okay, once I've figured this out, what else can I figure out? What other levels, what other hats would I like to figure out? And I remember being a band leader and, and looking at the, the person in charge of production. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I do that? And so I've always before learning many different areas of the business, one to put those tools in the belt. So that if somebody calls and says, Christian, we need lighting design in Florence um, for a brand new symphony, can you help us do that? And I can say yes and say yes saying, oh, I can't wait to do that. That's going to be incredible. So I put those tools in my belt because I've learned enough about these different skill sets that I can, A, I can actually work and make a living doing those. Um, B, I understand what's needed um, to, to stand certain productions up. But, um, but, but the other side of this is that, you know, just with any other business, I, I think that artists, uh, you know, were brought up in this environment, usually in a collegiate environment where it's a bit of a bubble and we're just, we're working on our, our craft and then we get thrust out into the real world and we aren't given all these tools, right? We're not taught how to negotiate a contract or to watch out for somebody who might take advantage of you. Um, and so again, you know, for me, I, I've really, uh, I've, I've realized that the, the more that I want to do, the more that I have to work to understand how to do it uh, on the business side, that will pay off so much on the back end. It's no fun. I always tell people it's like 70% of the time I'm doing the business of music, 30% of the time I'm actually doing the music. Um, you know, seriously, if, if that number shifted to like 90, 10, I, I think I'd have to, you know, change how I was doing business. But what I do see, and I guess I'll just wrap this up is what I do see is that when I do work that hard on the business end of it, it, the, the fruits or the reward of it on the artistic side allows me to do really what I want to do creatively. So it's like, if you take the time to learn enough about what's going on around you with regards to the environment that you make a living in, which is either on a stage or in a performance hall or a theater or whatever it is, then chances are you'll be able to make the kind of art that you want to make because you'll know what's involved to actually make it. Well said. Because I also think you can just outsource it all. In a way, sometimes there are good managers, there are good agents, but I think as you also mentioned, you, you want to see the whole picture. Also know about, okay, you, you don't just give anybody the lights, but you also want to have at least a, a rough insight. That's, that's the artistic idea. And as well, like with the, with the business side, it gets a bigger picture as well to appreciate what's all involved, not just you on stage with the band, but it's ticket sales and see, yeah, see the bigger picture. I think that's a really important part of it. Yeah, we're, we, we're, 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 we're a business, right? Our art, our talent, right? is the consumable good, right? And if you were to go over to a little, uh, we call a mom and pop store or like a independently owned business that sells, I don't know, sells clothes or something like that. You walked in and the place was dimly lit and there was no clothes in there and the place was dirty and like they never opened up on time and they closed at weird. It, you wouldn't visit that, that, that establishment, right? And, And so the, we have to, as artists, look at ourselves as a business. What are the things that we need to understand that are, you know, I, I call them black and white details, the, the, you know, the operations, 
so that we can operate as artists. Because if these other things aren't in check, it doesn't matter how good your art is. If people can't work with it <laughs> and interact with it and, uh, and find it, um, and then they won't, then you won't be successful. So yeah, it's just, um, you have to look at yourself at some point as an artist. And if you outsource it, um, that will cost you money. And, um, you know, yeah, that's, you know, it depends on how much, how much you want to give up, you know? So for me, it's like some people call it OCD, uh, or micromanaging. And I, I look at it differently. I, 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 I believe thoroughly in, and, and, and giving tasks to others to do. But as you said, have enough of an understanding of what you're telling those people to do so that at the end, it's the vision you, you imagined uh, from the start. Well, the whole arts and entertainment market has been hit hard by Corona. In Germany, we have the saying, first in, last out. So the first one that got, mm. well, through this, all the cancellations into big troubles and also the last ones that will be, uh, well, have a full, fully sold out theater. So how do you cope with this new circumstance on the one hand, but also what were your learnings in the time without being on tour? Uh, well, okay. So the first thing that I kind of had to embrace is that I have no control over this, right? This isn't a self-inflicted thing. This is something that, boy, uh, just as you said, first out, last back in, um, you know, that's just what it is. And that's for the safety and the health of, of, of our audience, right? And for our, all of our performers. So once I kind of grappled with that and realized that, you know, this is just what it is. Um, the second thing I, I, I really had to look at was, okay, how can I still stay relevant? How can I still make sure that I'm embracing the technology that's out there that will allow me to continue to convey my art? Um, and whether that's, you know, trying to grow my Instagram base or um, working on some of the different platforms like Zoom, um, you know, just trying to find and not give up, but really trying to find a way to continue to connect with my audience so that uh, because people still need to be entertained just because they can't go to the theater, they're, they're dying for, for something to do on a Friday night or a Wednesday evening, you know, um, people still want things to see and like, you know, you can only watch so many Uh, you know, reruns of The Office on Netflix. So um, the third thing, um, the third thing, and this is something that I think is really, uh, really, really important, is that in the normal configuration of us performing, we're limited by the, the our team. That is, uh, okay, um, these are our normal artists that we work with, and this is the region that we're based in, and if we have to go perform somewhere, we all have to get on a plane and travel across the world, and it takes a lot of time, a lot of money. Now it's like open access to anybody. Like it's a global initiative because everybody has moved into this virtual space. So now it's like even you and I having the ability to connect now it's like, I mean, I'm like thinking like, Oh man, I can't wait to someday come to Germany. And like, I can't wait for you to come over here and do this thing. Like the relationships and opportunities that I'm, I'm, I'm building right now with um, other artists, other co-collaborators, um, it's, it's boundless because, you know, first of all, A, there's people I've reached out to that I, you know, just was like, I was surprised they, they, they got back to me and said, yes, uh, you know, I, di I did a project for an artist the other day um, that is a major name artist that I just, um, I was just honest, honored to, 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 to be a part of something with them. And, 
you know, you never know. Maybe after all this is over, you know, they'll think about these collaborations and there'll be opportunity on the, on the, at the other side of this. And, and that's how I feel. I feel like if we look at this time as like, okay, who do we want to make art with? And what is possible now because we're all kind of in this virtual space? Um, how could that possibly benefit us when we come out of this? And I, I think that's the real big takeaway opportunity. Um, it's like when we all go back to the new normal, whatever that is, who are the new, what are the new relationships and who are the new people that you will have accumulated into your, into your circle during this time? And uh, that to me is what's uh, very exciting. Well, totally embracing this, this change. I've, I've recently read something that there are actually three pandemics and I think that fits really well in this context. The first pandemic is the virus. The second pandemic is the fear caused by the virus. But then there's the third pandemic, which is actually a good pandemic, a pandemic of collaboration that the whole world united is fighting this, this virus, like this exponential enemy. And for the first time, the whole world is united. But as well as you pointed out, that as everybody's in the same situation, there's this common vulnerability, but also... Uh, a super openness to connect and and I really feel yeah. right now kind of we're, we're putting out the seeds for new collaboration and actually like a, an awakening of collaboration that well the borders the physical borders right now are closed but I think the virtual borders are uh, are a way that we're more open than than in any time and it's normal that you chat on one day with somebody in Australia with you in the US with somebody in right. Europe and, and that's I think with this wisdom with this consciousness a lot of new creative project can can come up. Yeah, and, and you know what's funny is like this this technology or this ability has always been there, right? It's been there for well, it's been there for a long time. Uh, uh, you know, virtual business and online and streaming and all that kind of stuff. It's been there, but now because we're kind of forced to to go into that direction because this is where our outlet can be. Yeah, like explore it to its fullest potential because when we come out from underneath this. Uh, yeah, think about, uh, you know, again, what that new network of opportunities will be. Use this time to, 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 to sow those seeds and, and you will reap the benefits on, on the back end. Absolutely. Another interesting area that we have in common that we don't just do the arts to perform in a way for itself, but we also share the arts in the context of university, colleges, And with companies, you founded Sonic Leadership. Please tell us a bit about Sonic Leadership. What is the approach? What are the goals? But also what are sometimes the challenges to bring art and, uh, and your art into businesses? Sure. So I founded Sonic Leadership in 2011. Um, and this was uh, because I, I had been asked to, oh, I, as a musician, we found ourselves performing for corporate events. And uh, I, I'm sure you've probably done a handful of corporate events and you've sat on the sidelines and you've seen somebody go up there with, uh, as, a, as a speaker, you know, for their 15 or 20 minutes of win wisdom. And um, I had been hired to, um, to be a musician, you know, band leader uh, doing a, an event for leadership. And their, their, their keynote speaker uh, missed their flight. And at the last minute they said, hey, listen, our keynote speaker is not going to make it tonight. Do you think you can talk about being a leader in music? And, you know, the first thing I, I thought about was the physical leader dynamic of like, what's it like to be a band leader, right? Um, and it wasn't until I really started to take apart all of the bits and pieces um, where I realized that 
um, the way that we interact with the people around us, our, our, our team, um, those skill sets, which are as simple as just listening to each other, establishing really clear lines of communication so that uh, we can mitigate any types of risks or um, problems, um, being open to improvisation and spontaneity and, and giving an open place for uh, people to voice their ideas and not um, putting people into a box. Um, investing in the diversity uh, of our of our team where are they from where did they where did they go to school what's their background what really makes them who they are like if you think about um, how you create your art uh, through your puppetry and how I create the music with my band of very diverse people like the music that we play as a whole Right, has all that sound of music that goes out to the audience made up by the identity of everyone on my bandstand. And that team feels invested not only in the music that they're playing, um, but that they are a part of something very special. And so uh, I realized that this does have a place, this type of um, dialogue um, can be very helpful in the corporate environment. Um, you know, a lot of times these type of trainings uh, occur uh, with a PowerPoint presentation or a slide deck, or it's a lot of pie charts and uh, waterfall, uh, water, waterfall uh, charts. Um, I said to myself, what happens if we were to do the same kind of training for leadership and we were to make everybody shut their laptops, turn their phones off, no PowerPoint, and we were to bring the art and music and actually let that be this analog experience where people could see truly a high functioning team work together to deliver a deliverable out to their audience, out to their stakeholders. And so, um, you know, it was a slow start because I had to convince big companies that a jazz vibraphonist was worthy of their time and their money and their value. Uh, it was the beginning hurdles were going from just comparing things like uh, uh, communicating with my musicians is a lot like communicating with your, you know, your team members. So a lot of comparisons can be drawn, but actually creating um, tangible takeaways that can be learned, actual learnable skills that we use as musicians or as performers so that those same skills, those same practices can be brought back into the corporate environment and be applied. Um, that was a that had to evolve over time. That was a lot of feedback that we got when we first started, um, and that's something that we really drive at. So what I feel like now is that I have this really special program that, um, you know, first of all, I call it entertainment. Um, it's not that you know just oh another training or another sitting in a room and uh, stale coffee. When people walk into the room, there's a band set up and they're going to be entertained. They're going to learn something and um, hopefully they're going to walk away with a better appreciation of A, how um, artists create their art, um, but B, also they can relate that they make their their business the same way that we do our business of music and art. So um, uh, Sonic Leadership has been a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I really enjoy it because it just gives me a whole, it's a whole other side of the brain, you know, to, to kind of do what we do. Well, I, I couldn't agree more from what you said that it actually relates so much to, well, the whole dynamic as well in the business. We sometimes related that like puppetry, it gets 
like we try to create an organism and every team, every company should also perceive themselves as an organism. And so like for us, for puppetry, the breath is core. And for music, you also said like, you have to put the different things together and then it becomes something big. And I think these metaphors and these actually the feeling of being part of something bigger, it's, it's so important to really, well, inspire this intrinsic motivation and, and get people together and not just through PowerPoints, but through a feeling of connectedness. Yeah, the, the, the first thing that we talk about in Sonic Leadership is uh, we talk about sound checking our team. And every time I go anywhere in the world, uh, my band and my band has been playing together for 10 years. I mean, I know these guys' birthdays uh, by heart. You know, I mean, these are some of my closest friends. I know how they play. These are great musicians, world-renowned, right? Doesn't matter where we go. Doesn't matter if it's Carnegie Hall or a little tiny jazz club uh, in London. Uh, the first thing we do is we all step on stage, we get our instruments, and we do a sound check. And that sound check is to make sure that each one of us can hear ourselves. We have what we need. But more importantly, we can hear and see what everybody else is doing. And it doesn't matter where we go. This is the same practice. And, I, and, and we talk about how important it is that no matter what team that you're working with, any new business problem that you're dealing with, any new coming of a next quarter or whatever it might be, that we're making sure that we're always sound checking our team right? Don't take advantage of the fact that just because things are plugging along good, that you don't need to make sure that, you know, the sound check is taken care of. So literally I have people email me all the time. They're like, Hey, we had our, we had our team sound check and, uh, you know, uh, da da needed this and a little bit of that. And, you know, it, and it's like those kind of things you realize we take it for granted because we do it all the time. And it's just, it's just what we do. But Right. In the business world, you realize like it's like just to, to set up a, an open call of your team of 30 or 50 people and say, how's everybody doing? What are things you're hearing? You know, what, what, what could be better? How can we improve upon this? What you know, what's really working? What's not? You know, that sound check, that's that's what it's about. So, again, that relatability into that to that business environment is something that is really important and I think desperately needed in that that kind of space. Wow. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That's definitely the takeaway that I will take towards the next meetings, but as well, like the sound check of a team, which is actually in these Zoom times, so important that everybody asks, can you hear me, whatever. And so yep. it, we should take this kind of attitude that to be, to listen on the one hand, but also to be heard and the, the, yeah. well, the, the consciousness, I, my voice counts something, but I think in bigger meetings, sometimes it's not that easy to uh, well to be seen as well and right now maybe this technology reminds us that all faces are in the same kind of like square and uh, and should be equally important to to a certain extent i i th there's something that i also think has been interesting about this time uh, i don't think i've started one meeting without the first five to eight minutes prioritizing hey how are you doing how how's the family are you, is everyone doing okay? How, well, we're doing, and talking about being human, right? And bringing that dynamic of care and, and, and awareness to the well-being of the people, because we're at the time where you just don't know, oh my goodness, uh, your, your friend is, oh, or your family member is not feeling. It's now, those, that is so incredibly important and something that I think before nowadays, like you just jump into the meeting and boom, you're into the content and dump da da da. Okay, and log off. Next meeting, boom, 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 boom. Now we're as a human race, we we are taking time to actually say, hey, how are, 
we'll get to the business. How are you doing? Is everybody healthy? You know, that is so, that is so great. Like, I hope that continues forward because that is such a beautiful uh, kind of evolution of our way that we're doing these meetings and just connecting as people. Well, we, we talked a bit about the things that we would like to, to put and bring into the future. What are your visions and aspirations for this decade that just started actually and started in a, in a, with a boom and uh, actually like a, a, new, uh, a new flow? But what are your, your visions? What are your, uh, the projects you're currently working on? And what's, yeah, what is with Christian's like 2030 vision or also beyond? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I realized in this time how much I just love to be home and be around my family. Like, uh, I realized that that the time that I've been given to be with my daughter and to be uh, a part of her life in this kind of day in, day out, uh, where back when I was traveling um, all the time, you know, I would miss things, you know, and I realized that, you know, I need to really be selective about the projects that take me away from what's really important, what's really important. And so I, I think moving forward that I'm going to be a bit more selective of the things that I say yes to and uh, the things that I say yes to specifically that are going to take me away from home, right? And take me away from what I, I, I have come to really just love every day, which is being here uh, around my family. Um, so that's the big takeaway. That's the big one. Um, the, the next thing that, that's kind of happened in my career since my, my newest album, which is my first record um, where I collaborated with another artist in another um, kind of vernacular of the arts. It was um, all original music inspired by sculpture. Um, I'm starting to really um, enjoy uh, the idea of further collaborating with different types of artwork, art, art forms, right? So whether it be uh, puppetry or whether it be uh, a physical artist or sculpture, um, that's really inspiring me. Uh, I'm working with a photographer right now and we're doing something using brainwaves to help uh, uh, in, uh, create music. And so uh, I, I'm kind of, you know, again, like I, I love playing my, my, the great American songbook and jazz standards, and that'll always be there. But um, what I see for the next uh, couple of years of the new, you know, the new journey for me is going to be the, these collaborations, because as we were talking about before, I think that we're just kind of tapping into what's possible. And uh, the things that I'm going to say, yes, this is worth my time. This is worth my creativity. This is worth the talent. Like this is what all of that is worth. Um, it's going to be stuff that I really want to do. And uh, that's, um, that, that, that's kind of my mantra moving forward. So be, so, be a, a little bit more selective. Um, really make sure that I take care of time that I'm home and, and look for those unique new collaborations that put me outside the box. Oh, I, I feel so connected to you currently because for me it was also the new annotation to home also that the power of home and the power of not being on tour because on being on tour was always like part of the game but right now we're kind of reshifting or rewriting the rules of the game and that's that's yep. really powerful to yeah to focus on a new collaboration and uh, be open to new collaborations but also selective on the ones that you really want to put power on in order to have these one these ones really thrive And one well project collaboration that I'm totally looking forward to is our virtual jam that we like kind of like yeah. brainstormed during our last meeting that we have like a team of Dundu puppeteers together with you in a live Zoom or whatever stream session it's going to be. But the idea was there in the virtual jam that we have like a small space, like maybe 10 to 15 persons and they get 
to experience our kind of way of listening to each other, uh, the, the, well, the power of silence in a way, and also the power of co-creation. Right, right. Oh, I, I, listen, um, what reason would we have to do this if it wasn't for the current situation we're in? And uh, how, what a great first opportunity for us to collaborate, um, mainly because if you don't like it, you can just leave the meeting. But no. <laughs> Just kidding. But no, I mean, you know, this is so great. Like, um, I'm really thrilled that this will be our first way to collaborate. Uh, I think it's going to open up a whole new way to perform. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, yeah, that, that can't come any sooner. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Wow, what, what great insight. Do you have anything else that you like to share your mantra, your credo, your, your last words of wisdom for this interview? Oh man, I just, you know, I, no, you, we, boy, we covered from me being five years old on the guitar to the, uh, to the, what are my next 10 years in the entertainment industry going to be? You know, I think that the, the thing that's been my mantra and has always been is don't wait for opportunity to knock on your door, go out and create it. Um, you know, when you play the vibraphone, that's just what you got to do. So I, I think if you're willing and open to creating new opportunities, especially in a time like this, like um, the, the opportunities are endless. Uh, embrace it and um, yeah, stay healthy and be well. Um, that's, uh, that's it, man. That's it. Wow. Well, thanks a lot, Christian, for your time, your wisdom. And yeah, we're going to, uh, to look forward to this virtual jam session, all the new collaborations and especially collaboration of us together. It's coming next. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks so much, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Christian so much. Stay Corona creative and please subscribe to our channel and give us a review on iTunes. We see you at the next episode of the Sea Arts Podcast.